Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest. This is the Tuesday edition where we talk with you about the Bible and its relevance for today, every Tuesday at two. My name is Justin Dobbs. We're really excited you're listening in. And let me invite you to interact with us live. If you're listening to this Tuesday at two o'clock, you can go to YouTube. We'll be watching the, uh, the chat window there. Uh, otherwise, you can visit us at BibleQuest.tv. We want to talk with you about your questions and concerns in your journey to know the Lord and his words. So please leave us a question or comment or suggestion about a future study. Uh, but let me go ahead and introduce our panelists here. Today we have with us Scott Smelser. How are you, Scott? I'm doing all right. Good, good, good to see you. Uh, and Jeremy DeHud is joining us from Louisville, Kentucky. How are you, Jeremy? I'm doing well. Thank you. Good, good, good. Glad you guys are with us. Uh, Scott's been busy chopping wood or something. Is that what you've got going on today? Down a big dead tree that's right by the road. So I got a gas meter, a road, and the porch that I'm trying to <laughs> So far, so far. Yeah, no, no, one's, no one's been injured yet. Uh, we, we have uh, on the docket at some point soon, we're going to be talking about the lost gospels. Uh, previously, we talked about Mark 16 and some concerns about the ending of that gospel, whether that is a reliable um, inspired text. And so at some point we're gonna be looking at the lost gospels. Today though, we're gonna jump back to uh, a conversation we've been having from the book of Proverbs. And uh, really excited to talk about this section. This is Proverbs five. Uh, I think this is an incredibly practical sec section, not just for uh, the topic uh, that's being addressed here, but really a lot of different topics when it comes to our devotion to godly things. Um, Proverbs 5, um, any introductory remarks before we just jump in and, and start reading some of the text here? I'm good to just dive in and go. All right. Well, how about, yeah. Jimmy, do you want to read us through maybe verses 1 through 6? That sounds great. I'll be reading from the ESV. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death and her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. So pretty familiar opening here in the Proverbs. It's a father to a son, um, and he's wanting to, to bless his son, giving him wisdom. Uh, better pay attention, son, better listen to me. And then he's addressing this forbidden woman. Um, this is going to be a, a, a pretty common theme in the Proverbs. But what are some observations you guys see here just in the first six verses? This is such a powerful chapter. It is so mm -hmm. new today, but it's also an example of the doers of the word, not hearers only. This is apparently Solomon to his son. His son's going to be an idiot, and Solomon is going to ruin the latter part of his life getting wrapped up with the wrong way. So not only is this super, super important, Anybody can ignore this and make a disaster. Yeah. Go ahead, Jeremy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't sure if we stalled there for a second. Um, 
culturally, there are some differences between the opportunities to be enticed by a woman like this today. You know, when this was written, you had those places in town and we have places in town that are unwise to go to, but there are so many opportunities virtually and digitally where this type of woman is trying to entice you and ensnare you. And it applies even to those circumstances. And so to help modern readers see the correlation in character and in enticement, even though the specific instance may vary a little bit, um, helping them bridge that gap and apply it. Yeah. yeah. When it says, keep your way far from her door, also keep your way far from her website. Yes. Keep your way far from her chat. Keep your way far from her, you know, TikTok, whatever. Yeah, and, and there, there's something about the way Salman addresses this here, and, and we'll see it as we cycle through the whole chapter. Um, there is there is the advice of staying far away, and he's going to give that advice uh, more in Chapter 7, where he talks about the, the youth who seems to be wandering aimlessly, but almost purposefully aimlessly uh, toward the house of the prostitute. But here, um, I, I don't know, I, I was taught early on to bounce the eyes. You know, if you see uh, a woman and she's provocative, and some women may be provocative and, and don't know it, that's good advice. But Solomon actually says, hey, son, you see that woman? I want you to look at her for a second. I don't mean like actually looking at her, but he says, I want you to consider her and not just see her, but see through her. And I think sometimes when we're thinking about temptation, we're just thinking about the cheese and the mousetrap, and we're not thinking about the mousetrap. Uh, we, we see the bait and we see what's enticing. And Solomon is saying, I want you to consider for a moment how deadly she is and what a disaster that would be. And oftentimes, particularly with, with sexual sin, we're just thinking about how alluring and captivating this is. And we're not thinking about the, the disastrous consequences that would come on us. He describes her as, as being bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword, and she's going to take you down to the grave if you follow her. Jeremy? Yeah, what's interesting in the first six verses is he's not talking about her physical appearance. Right. He's, he's not talking about the allure of fleshly desire. He's talking about the impact that her speech has on your pride. Yes. Right? That the, there's this speech that makes you feel good about yourself. There's this flattery. There's this smoothness to it. Um, and I, I appreciate when I was younger... Um, some of the ways that mom tried to prepare us boys for women in their speech. You know, what if a girl says this to you? How might it make you feel? Well, it sounds weird coming from my mom, but I would like it a lot if it came from one of my peers. Yep. You know, and, and helping all men of all ages to think through that, where they're plying on your, um, your insecurities and, mm -hmm. and your pride, and they're puffing you up and making you feel like you're essential and needed. It actually reminds me of a time I went to, uh, I, I was jean shopping. And I'm embarrassed to tell this story, but I was jean shopping and I went in to see if they had my size. Well, they didn't have my size in the store. They hardly ever do. Uh, but this girl came out and she said, oh, well, there's this pair of jeans here. And I've just been wondering what it would look like on a guy of your size. Would, would you mind trying it on for me? I left the no. store with those jeans. <laughs> I left the store with those jeans. Uh, 
I got home though and realized these jeans don't fit. What am I doing buying these jeans that don't fit? And I took them back and got a refund. How many just, jeans did she sell like that? She was a good lot. at her job. She was good at her job. Yeah. But I wasn't thinking about whether they were actually right or not. You know, the jeans were a right fit. I was just thinking, hey, she thinks this looks good. And, and you know, this is an attractive thing. And we just fall for it. It, it, it does, does appeal to the ego. Scott? How many of guys' early crushes or later crushes started with something a girl said to you? Yep. And the thing is, it, 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 when a guy hears it, yeah, it, it, the, the male ego is easily manipulated. And it's not like this girl that throws out that line. And, and I compare it. It's like a fishing line and a hook and a worm. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, Satan wants you to just look at the juicy worm. Notice the hook. Right. Uh, and as she's fishing, it's not like this is this wonderful, godly girl who's been keeping herself pure, and she's just seen you, and she's fallen head over heels in love because, you know, we're just that stunning, and she can't help herself but start flattering us. That is not what's going on. She knows what lines work. She knows how to sell her jeans. <laughs> she knows what to say. Yeah. And, go ahead. Yeah, and, and that's why this principle applies to so many things beyond just sexual morality, because Satan's not using new tricks. I mean, right. this is the, the way he's been going about this since the beginning. Right. But uh, I, I have struggled with um, sexual immorality in the past and just, just lustful thinking. And I had a, a brother that I would text from time to time to to help me in moments of weak, moments of weakness, and I kept one of his text messages. It's in my my notes, and I pull it up from time to time to think back on it. Uh, you just you need brothers like this who will tell you the truth, kind of like Solomon's telling his son. Will you just think about this for a second? And he said, "Hey, Justin, I just saw your message, and I'm praying for you. You say you are enticed by your desires, but if you honestly think about it." Those desires are a package deal, complete with disappointing Jesus, a future in hell, loss of trust from your wife, and loss of effectiveness as a father, Christian brother, etc. Not so enticing now, is it? Yeah. And I needed that. I, I really, really needed that. And so what Solomon's doing here is he's saying, you see that really shiny thing over there? Um, I want you to pause for a moment and just actually look at it all the way through. And that's part of what wisdom is, is wisdom uh, is the ability to see through things. We call it discernment. And so here he's getting his son to see through it. Jeremy? You know, putting it back in the context of male-female relationships, if, if you're a single guy out there, be looking for a spiritually-minded young lady that's willing to recognize you're not hot stuff, and she's not going to get taken in by it. And she actually might have some humbling things to say to you if you're willing to listen. You know, somebody who's thinking beyond the moment and they're like, hey, you're a pretty okay guy, but you know, you've got a big head or you talk a lot about yourself or you could do this better. You know, be looking for, and not just female companions, but friends, male friends that are the same way. They're not just yes people. They're not just there to puff you up. But they're gonna be—they're gonna speak the truth in love to you and help you grow. And you want to be that kind of person for them. 
So as we get ready to go into the next part of this text, this principle that we've been talking about, think about what's wrong with this. You know, yes, she's alluring. Her, her words drip with honey. But look at what is corrupt about it. Notice mm. that. Uh, it goes along with the passage in Romans 12. Mm. Abhor what's evil. Right. Please to what's good. Uh, so, for example, let's say food. Um, if there's a food that absolutely makes you sick, messes up your digestive system for a month, you know, uh, makes you break out in hives or whatever. Instead of just looking, ooh, it smells so good. Ooh, stop and focus on, I know what that will do to me. And when you focus on that, then it's not as enticing. So right. abhor what's he cleave to what's good. So let's continue with the text and watch and see reasons to abhor. All right, let's go ahead. Yeah, 7 through 14 here. And now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep far away from her uh, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life... Let's pause, let's pause there and think about that for just a minute. How many people do you know that they have child support payments for a baby over here, mm -hmm. child support payments for a baby over there, and maybe child support payments for a baby over there. And all their money, a lot of their money, under court order, and, and, and if they hadn't been making payments, maybe they get their wages stopped, is going here, there, and there. Are those... The, the girls that he met at a party that he had the child with, are those girls probably putting all that money aside for, you know, private school and college and trust fund for the kids? You'd like to think so, but probably not. A lot of that money is going to be being spent by her partying with her new boyfriends. It's going to be going up the nose. It's going to be you know, going up in smoke, it's going to be. And so all of his labors are going to a stranger or to a foreigner because of his foolish behavior. Yeah, and, and even even if it's not that extreme, where it's, um, you know, a girlfriend that you got pregnant and now you're paying child support or whatever, uh, the, the time that you lose that could have been invested in your wife and in your family or even in the kingdom of God, you have just flittered away in pursuing selfish pleasures. You could have, you could have learned another language to go and share the gospel. You know, you, you, you could have memorized you know, something from God's word. You, you could have taught your neighbors. You could have mowed your neighbor's lawn. You could have you know, taught your children something about God's word or just, just the opportunities that you lost that you will never ever get back. It, it is time that has been lost. And what sin does is it lets you make the first payment voluntarily. You know, you, you go ahead and go this route. It's fine. It's, you know, you're just, you're voluntarily giving yourself. 
But by the end of it, they are coming in and ransacking your house and sin is taking from you, whether you wanted to or not, maybe by court order, or maybe just because I've become enslaved to this thing and there's nothing left for me to give anymore, but it's still robbing me blind. So sin always takes more than we thought it would. Jeremy? And just to be clear, I think we, we would all say this, like we're not talking about salvation at this point. We're talking about wisdom that benefits you in this life, right? So I can make some of these mistakes in my youth and end up recognizing the folly of it and seek forgiveness and be granted that forgiveness in Christ. And I can be right in my relationship with God. But as far as practical living here, there are earthly consequences where life will be more difficult because of the folly that you choose. Yes. And so the father here is not primarily focusing on the spiritual consequence in the end. He's focusing on your life is going to get harder if you make some of these foolish choices. If, if you are so divided in your focus, you're hurting yourself and you're hurting your family. And he's looking at the practicality of that. Yeah. Yeah, and, it, and it's been that way since the beginning, right? Adam and Eve, uh, who, who's to say what happened? I mean, God knows what happened to Adam and Eve eternally. Um, you know, will we get to, to meet our earthly parents, you know, one day? Um, but they, they suffered severe consequences for their sin. Same with Cain, uh, same with David. You know, David was forgiven by God for his sin with Bathsheba. Yes, but then there were intense consequences that came upon him and his household. So, so wisdom is looking to uh, to navigate through life, seeing the dangers, so that I don't have to bear those consequences, and instead I can enjoy the blessings that God wants me to have. Yeah. So, in verse uh, verse ten, he says, "Lest strangers take your fill of your strength, your labors go to the house of a foreigner." Kind of what Scott was saying there before. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Too little, too late. Yeah. And notice the body consumed. Mm-hmm. You might recall also in Romans chapter 1, where it mm -hmm. talks about some of the sexually perverted behavior and receiving in themselves kind of the recompense due them. Um, there, there are health dangers to promiscuous living. Uh, several years ago, I saw a statistic. I think it was, and th this is not a uh, virgins, this is a sexually active 15 to 24 adults. And I believe the number of them that had uh, sexually transmitted diseases was 40% at that time. So you're, you're asking for trouble. Wow. Yeah. I, I remember seeing um, a billboard talking about um, how to prevent the HPV um, it was HPV cancer, um, but uh, there's only one sure way to prevent it, and that's to get a vaccine. And I thought, yeah, I think there's another way to prevent that. <laughs> um, or there, there was a billboard here in Philadelphia, and we see it on our way into worship on Sundays, and uh, it, it just says, "Want great sex? 
And then there's a phone number for a doctor who specializes in, in reproductive health. And it, it, you want great sex, read Proverbs 5. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, Proverbs 5 is going to give us wisdom, but it's not the goal. The goal isn't just how do I keep from disaster? How do I get what I want? But there's, there's a, something that can be built here that's really beautiful uh, that God intends for marriage. Um, before we go on the next section, Jeremy. Yeah, the last couple of verses that we read there, 12, 13, and 14, tie back to verses 1 and 2. And, and the, the principle applies beyond the, the intimate relationship between a man and a woman. But the principle is he was not teachable when he was young. And it wasn't that he didn't have instructors. He had instructors. I mean, he had his, his father. Um, if you go back a couple of chapters, he also had his mother back in chapter 1. Um, and these teachers and these instructors in verse 13, and he's reached the end of this sequence where it's painful and he's experiencing the consequences of his folly. And he's saying, why didn't I listen when I had the opportunity? Why didn't I humble myself and take advantage of the instruction I was given back here? Um, and I, we can all probably think of people that we've met that God has used as object lessons. I mean, there's one very clearly burned in my memory from when I was 17 or 18. And it was a gentleman that was experiencing the lifelong consequences of sexual promiscuity. And he contracted a disease that took his life. Yeah. Um, but he left the Lord for decades and decades and ended up coming back after he contracted the disease, which was incurable at that point in the nineties. And he spent his last year, year and a half going around and talking to teenagers saying, I am the embodiment of Proverbs wow. five. Don't do what I did. And his funeral, like people were stacked outside. You couldn't fit them in the building because he was saying, please, teenagers, listen to the godly people in your life trying to help you avoid this. Justin? And, and like you said, we, we've all had instructors like that, and maybe we've tried to instruct others. Um, the difference, I think, that that needs to be made is the, the individual uh, purposefulness, you know, the 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 decision that I make as a listener to mm -hmm. repeat those things in my heart. So back at verse two, he says, keep discretion and your lips will guard knowledge. I, I think that's sort of a poetic way of talking about meditation, yeah. biblical meditation. Um, the word just means to, to murmur. <laughs> so if I just keep, you know, you're, you're reviewing in your heart, biblical truths, and you're confronting your life and your choices with the gospel so that, you know, Here's what the world's presenting, but I know what the truth is, and I'm going to keep preaching it to my heart and soul so that I will know that's a lie, that's a trap. I'm not going to be taken in by that hook. And so it's one thing to hear it, and sometimes as parents, we raise our children in the church, quote unquote, and then we wonder where it went wrong. Well, an hour or two once a week is not going to be what they need. They need to be able to repeat those things in their own heart and say, I believe this, this is what's going to lead me right with God and give me the blessings he wants me to have so I can live for his glory. But my lips have to guard knowledge. I've got to yeah. be able to tell myself the truth when I'm confronted with the lie. Scott? Well, when our children are smaller, there's times when they need to understand why. Because mom said so, because dad said so. As they get older, it is very helpful for them to understand the reasons why. And that's yeah. what Proverbs 5 here is getting into. Sexuality is not a bad thing. Sexuality is a good thing. God created it. Genesis 2, I'm going to be speaking in a few weeks on the goodness of Genesis 
to 24. That's a good thing mm -hmm. to notice. God is a creator. Satan is a perverter. God created this world and nature, and he looked down in Genesis 1.31. He saw what he was made with man and woman, put here to multiply, and, and bear children. And he said it was very good. Then sin comes, and it gets perverted. Yeah. Satan doesn't create. He perverts. Mm -hmm. and the, as we go on in this chapter, it's going to it, stay away from this perversion. Stick with what's good. And it's yes. about to describe that being intoxicated in the love of your wife. God meant for this relationship to be enjoyed. And an uh, illustration I heard a number of years ago, I think is very helpful, is that of a fireplace. Uh, in the winter, you go into your house or somebody's house and there's a nice roaring fire in the fireplace. What room do you want to be in? Right, right there. there at the fireplace, yeah. If you're visiting and talking, where are you looking? And I'm looking at that fireplace. It's giving me warmth. It's kind of exciting and beautiful and it's dynamic and it's pleasant and I'm drawn to it. You drag those logs out of the fireplace and put them on the carpet next to the soap and the drape. It's still hot but it's going to stop being warm and inviting and pleasant and healthy. It's going to become poisonous and destructive really quick. Hebrews 13, 4, you know, let marriage be had in honor among all fornicators and adulterers. God will judge. And so this is now going to focus on stay away from the perversion value the good thing justin and and maybe before we read this next section the, the uh I, I think we we do right to point out the problems of sexual immorality but what solomon does here that's so helpful is he points out the blessings of the fire in the fireplace yes um, because if all we taught our kids about fire was don't play with matches and don't roll burning logs into your couch I mean, <laughs> I mean, whoa, you know, Fires people. you know, it, that's, that's not a really helpful thing, but there are really good uses for fire. And so, uh, like you said, is, is appreciating the way that God designed it. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing. Uh, so here, let's, let's read verses 15. Uh, I'll read to the end of the chapter here. Uh, and, and by the way, as I'm reading this, if you happen to be reading this from your own Bible, do, do yourself a favor and look for, there is one verse that stands out among all the verses in this chapter, uh, just even visually. Verse 15, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline. 
because of his great folly, he is led astray. So the positive side of this is to enjoy your wife. And you said it earlier, Scott, be intoxicated literally is to be uh, led astray or to get carried away with uh, your wife. Instead of wander down the path with this woman who's not yours, instead get lost in the, the love of yeah. the wife who is yours. Yeah. I mean, what more can you say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah <it's good. laughs> let's, let's expand on the yeah. I agree. A, with you. Yeah. A, amen. Uh, Jeremy? Uh, I think we need to be instructing our kids about what God says about sexuality. I mean, God created us as sexual beings, and he's the one who created us with bodies that had the capacity to enjoy the act of physical intimacy. I mean, he could have made it as boring as sneezing, and he didn't. <laughs> you know, he made it the way that he made it. Um, but he made it to be enjoyed within the covenant of a certain relationship. And only within the covenant of that relationship can it fully be enjoyed. Um, but if we teach our kids that, then they realize that their sexuality is a gift to be given toward their, their spouse. And if you have two spouses that both view their sexuality that way, that they're giving each other that gift, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And it's okay to be intoxicated with that and caught up in that. Um, and there's a lot of this figurative language that ties directly in with the Song of Solomon. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's coming back to just the practicality of it. It's better. Um, two yeah. things. There was a survey done in the last couple of years. And the women, it, I think it was the women. It might have been both men and women. But... Uh, I think I think it was focused on women. The women who had the most sexually satisfying lives happened to be conservative religious women. Because I love God, that. I love that. Wherever that came from, off the top of your head, that's a great statistic. God's rules are are, are good. Amen. Uh, years ago in the Chicago Tribune, this many years ago. Um, there was a fella, and he had an article, and it was about some indecent clothing that was popular at the time. And he'd written about that. And then a woman there in the Chicago area wrote back to him. And she said, I, I don't wear that. And she said, and here's why. She said, I'm in my 20s. I have a very good figure. I'm considered very attractive. She said, but my body, she said, I love my husband. And my body is for him, mm -hmm. not some guy walking down the street. So I will not wear that. The, the journalist thought, well, that's a pretty interesting letter. He, he posted that then in his next article. Then one of his buddies, who was a playboy, who lived that lifestyle for years, you know, go to bed with somebody, wake up the next morning, might not remember their name, you know, slip out or whatever. He read that letter and he became infatuated. And he contacted the journalist. He said, I know she doesn't want me, but that's the woman I want. And he began to describe, he said, my lifestyle, he said, it started off exciting, but now it's lost a lot of the excitement. Yeah. And here, after years of taking the devil's route, which puts puts all the, the juicy worm up front, and then there's pain and disaster. He's been he's used and abused these women, and they've been using him. He doesn't care about them. 
they don't care about him. And when he wrote a letter from this woman who was in love with her husband and wasn't wanting to share herself with other people, but wanted to share it, that was that was super attractive to him. He thought, wow, that would be great. Guess what? That's that's God's idea. It takes patience, it takes self-control, like anything valuable. But that's God's way, and it's better. And it, it means investment in a person. Um, with, yeah. with a lot of the opportunities that Satan has thrown our way for sexual immorality today, I'm just investing in me. But in the meantime, I'm actually destroying myself. But so I think I'm investing in me and yeah. I don't invest in another person or another relationship. And like go back to the, the jeans example where I go into this shop and buy a pair of jeans that I have no business buying. Uh, she just wanted a sale. That's all she wanted. And so when we engage in lustful activity and sexual immorality, there's there's an ulterior motive here. But what's happening here in these last few verses of chapter five is just there's a man and a woman who are in this committed marriage relationship and she is giving herself for the sake of giving herself to him. And he is giving himself for the sake of giving himself to her. And the, the verse that stands out, every line in Proverbs five is a couplet. And I think almost purpose on purpose, like to draw our attention to, hey, you looked at her for a second and thought about her. Now I want you to think about her. Think about your wife. There's, there's a triplet. And so verse 19, she's a lovely deer. She's a graceful doe. Let her breasts flee at all times of delight. And like be infatuated with your wife. Uh, years ago, my father-in-law, and I think Jeremy, maybe you were the one who said it. Uh, this was at my bachelor birthday party. Jeremy's my brother-in-law, for those listening. I'm married to his only sister. Um, he said, I don't need to ask what kind of woman is Justin's type. Because from now on, Lindsay, his wife, is going to be his type. You know, she defines that. And so as a married man, stop looking at everything else and say, you know, that is my type. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fall on purpose more and more in love with her. Jeremy? There's this interesting shift. I mean, everything that we're saying in 15 through 20 is true. Like God's way is best. And his design is for physical intimacy to be enjoyed between two people in covenant relationship and all the practicalities of that and the benefits of that. And that's all exactly true. Um, but there has to be a greater motive than just I want to enjoy the best intimacy I can. And so I'm waiting until marriage to have sex. Like there needs to be more behind that. Hmm. And when you get to 21 through 23, you're there. I mean, the, the writer is trying to get you to realize God's looking and God's watching and God knows your paths and there are consequences for folly and you don't want to experience those. And so it brings you back to God's watching. God's watching all of this. And you want to live the kind of life, not just the kind of life that in general makes it better and more enjoyable, but you want to live the kind of life that follows the paths that God would approve. I, I want to live the kind of life that pleases my maker. Um, and so he brings it back around to that. There needs to be a greater motive as, as you think about all this. Scott? And notice the expression also there. It doesn't say rejoice in your wife while she's 
rejoice in the wife of your youth. Yeah. Where else in the minor prophets is that phrase, the wife of your youth, going to come up? Remember the next time we see that? Uh, Malachi? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where God hates divorce. And yeah. he's seen the tears yeah. of the wife of your youth who you've broken your covenant with her. Too many guys treat their wives like a used car. Uh, I'll often, if I'm speaking to a group of guys, I'll ask, well, here, uh, Jeremy. What was your first car? 1986 Black Ford Taurus sedan. All right. All right. Were you excited when you got it? Thrilled. Yeah, yeah. Where is it now, Jeremy? Um, have no idea. A month yeah. later, I replaced the alternator, and I was so frustrated. Yeah. <laughs> we all were excited, you know, with our first car. And then we had a few problems with it. We had a chance to get something newer and shinier. And we did. And we had some problems with that. And then we got rid of that. And that's why a lot of men treat women. Yeah. Um, I think it's fascinating. Uh, until the Obama administration, from 1960 to the Obama administration, there was an embargo in Cuba. And so they couldn't get new cars. So you know what they did? They yeah. took those 50s cars. That's right. You had nice looking Edsels and stuff. Yeah, you see the Bel Airs going down the street and they look brand new. <laughs> Because they took care of it, yeah. Because they knew that you know more cars, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, it's rejoice in the wife of your youth. Keep rejoicing in the wife of your youth. And keep trying to make you know do things special for the wife of your youth. Uh, you'll both get older. And do that together and enjoy that together. And there's something to be said about that process, comparing what I just said about my first car. Like I can give you the make, model, year, color, cloth, interior, all that stuff. And the way God designed us is that our first experience is seared in our memories. It's just the way he designed us. Um, if you have the habit of being promiscuous, Odds are really high that you're going to remember your first, but then you're going to have a series of memories that are flawed and blurred together, and they're just going to become a, a blur of names and faces. Yeah. But if you do it God's way, ideally, your first is going to be your spouse. Hmm. And, and that's going to be seared in both of your memories, and that's the way it's supposed to be. And that's going to be a tremendous benefit to you and your relationship going forward if you do it the way that God says to do it. If you, compare, if you grab like Satan's ways and God's ways, it goes kind of like this. Satan puts something exciting right at the front. Mm. Like a teenager who goes to a party and he's going to get drunk for the first time. He's excited to go to that party. He's excited when they hand him some alcohol. He's excited when that girl slides up next to him. He's excited about all that. Next morning, hanging over the toilet, he may not be as excited. But like that worm on the hook, you, 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 you want the worm to be focused on. And sooner or later, you start having this. There, there was a fellow that does drug counseling. He, he did a weekly session with heroin addicts. And he said, they get to the point where, because you get high and then it drops and then you feel worse. Then you get high and it drops. But over time, the highs are lower and the lows are lower, 
and here's normal that you were originally wanting to. He said, after a while, the heroin addict is just trying to get to normal. I just want to feel normal. And it keeps going down. God's ways, you know, watch how the better comes later. Yep. yep. The, the water to water. You save the best for last. The old covenant, new covenant. This body, which is fearfully and wonderfully made, and the resurrected body. So put faith in God and trust his ways and stop taking the shortcuts that are dishonorable to God and destructive to ourselves. If, according to the end of the proverb, if you're willing to discipline yourself and be led by God, you have to be willing to submit to his instruction and be humble enough to be led and trust him. Now, coming to a close here, but I wanted to ask this question to you guys. This passage is helpful to um, a man or a woman. You could put the woman here, um, mm -hmm. but it, it's helpful to people who are looking forward to the beauty and the pleasure that comes in uh, the way God designed marriage. And if you're a single person, you might think, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to hold on and work towards those things. But what if I'm single and I never get married? How is this proverb helpful to me as I, as I try to battle against sexual immorality? We've got three minutes. How many more minutes? <laughs> um, to make the point that marriage is good and singleness is good. Yes. And being married requires self-control and being single requires self-control. Um, yep. And those principles apply whether you're married or single. And so if your desire is to be married someday is to be the kind of person that would match the description here. But if singleness is on the horizon for an indefinite period of time, you still want to have the character of being pure and committed to God's ways and living a life of self-control because your sexuality is not yours. It belongs to God and your body belongs to God. So use your body and your sexuality to the glory of God and use it the way that he says to use it or to refrain from using it. Yeah. Um, Paul so discusses that's a, that's a really big, big, fast answer. Yeah. Paul discusses the benefits and advantages of being single yeah. in First Corinthians chapter seven. And for him, it was better. He understood everybody's not why the same way. But how could Paul have done everything he did if he'd been responsible for a wife and you know a bunch of little kids following? Um, and so there's great things that have been done in the past and done. We all know single people just doing fantastic things today. Uh, but marriage, Hebrews 13, 4 says, let marriage be had in honor among all. That doesn't just mean married people. Let marriage honor. There's a lot of widows and widowers that honor marriage. That their, their marriage is over. And a lot of them are not looking to replace that. They're, they're still in love with the person that's gone. But they honor marriage. And Amen. Paul honored marriage. And partly you honor other people's marriages too. Respect the boundaries. Mm -hmm. So we all honor marriage. Whether we happen to be married, whether we used to be married, whether we're not going to be married, or whether we hope to be married someday. We should all honor marriage. And really, 
um, one, one last thing here is, is marriage, even for those of us who are happily married by God's grace, my marriage is not about me. Uh, it's about God and it is a, a placeholder. Uh, it is a, a living parable of something more beautiful to come. So even, even though this is blessed now, this is the water to the wine that is coming uh, to the great feast of one day being with our, our heavenly husband forever. So, so if, if the marriage bed, if the marriage is a, the way Song of Solomon puts it, a, a garden locked that is only to be enjoyed by those who enter in, uh, then how much more so will that marriage feast be in heaven with Christ our Lord? Jeremy, you want to close us up here? Yeah, maybe another way of saying what you just said is going to Ephesians chapter 5. And for our siblings in Christ who are single, even though they're not physically married in, or in an earthly marriage here, they belong to the greatest marriage, which is the bride with Christ. And so they belong to the greater marriage. Um, the goal in life is not to be a married person. Um, you are born single, and unless you're the spouse who goes first, you're going to be single again. Um, so the, the most important thing is to make sure that you belong to the greatest marriage, which is belong to the bride of Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, men, thankful. Thank you for the, the good discussion today. Really helpful, really encouraging. I'm, I'm excited about this. I hope it's helpful to everyone who gets a chance to listen in. But that concludes our discussion for today. Thanks for tuning in. And if you found the study of God's word helpful, then please do share with other people. Uh, and again, if you have thoughts or questions you'd like to share, requests for future studies, then you can visit our website at BibleQuest.tv. Thanks for joining in. God be with you. And until next time, uh, we'll plan on seeing you next week. All right, that was a little